Chapter Five of *The Lion's Skin* by Raphael Sabatini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Moonshine. My lord Ostermore, though puzzled, entertained no tormenting anxiety on the score of the search to which Mister Carroll was to be submitted. He assured himself from that gentleman's confident, easy manner being a man who always drew from things the inference that was obvious that either he carried no such letter as my lord expected or else he had so disposed of it as to baffle search so for the moment he dismissed the subject from his mind with hortensia he entered the parlour across the stone-flagged passage to which the landlady ushered them and turned wholeheartedly to the matter of his ward's elopement with his son hortensia said he when they were alone you have been foolish very foolish he had a trick of repeating himself conceiving no doubt that the commonplace achieves distinction by repetition hortensia sat in an armchair by the window and sighed looking out over the downs do i not know it she cried and the eyes which were averted from his lordship were charred with tears tears of hot anger shame and mortification god help all women she added bitterly after a moment as many another woman under similar and worse circumstances has cried before and since a more feeling man might have conceived that this was a moment in which to leave her to herself and her own thoughts and in that it is possible that a more feeling man had been mistaken ostermore stolid and unimaginative but not altogether without sympathy for his ward of whom he was reasonably fond as fond no doubt as it was his capacity to be for any other than himself approached her and set a plump hand upon the back of her chair what was it drove you to this she turned upon him almost fiercely my lady ostermore she answered him his lordship frowned and his eyes shifted uneasily from her face in his heart he disliked his wife excessively disliked her because she was the one person in the world who governed him who rode roughshod over his feelings and desires because perhaps she was the mother of his unfeeling detestable son she may not have been the only person living to despise lord ostermore but she was certainly the only one with the courage to manifest her contempt and that in no circumscribed terms and yet disliking her as he did returning with interest her contempt of him he veiled it and was loyal to his termagant never suffering himself to utter a complaint of her to others never suffering others to censure her within his hearing this loyalty may have had its roots in pride indeed no other soil can be assigned to them a pride that would allow no strangers to pry into the sore places of his being 
he frowned now to hear hortensia's angry mention of her ladyship's name and if his blue eyes moved uneasily under his beetling brows it was because the situation irked him how should he stand as judge between mistress winthrop towards whom as we have seen he had a kindness and his wife whom he hated yet towards whom he would not be disloyal he wished the subject dropped since did he ask the obvious question in what my lady ostermore could have been the cause of hortensia's flight he would provoke he knew a storm of censure from his wife therefore he fell silent hortensia however felt that she had said too much not to say more her ladyship has never failed to make me feel my position my my poverty she pursued there is no slight her ladyship has not put upon me until not even your servants use me with the respect that is due to my father's daughter and my father she added with a reproachful glance was your friend my lord he shifted uncomfortably on his feet deploring now the question with which he had fired the train of feminine complaint pish pish he deprecated tis fancy child pure fancy so her ladyship would say did you tax her with it yet your lordship knows i am not fanciful in other things should i then be fanciful in this but what has her ladyship ever done child he demanded thinking thus to baffle her since he was acquainted with the subtlety of her ladyship's methods a thousand things replied hortensia hotly and yet not one upon which i may fasten tis thus she works by words half words looks sneers shrugs and sometimes foul abuse entirely disproportionate to the little cause i may unwittingly have given her ladyship is a little hot the earl admitted but a, a good heart tis an excellent heart hortensia for hating i my lord nay plague on it that's womanish in you upon honour it is womanish what else would you have a woman mannish and raffish like my lady ostermore i'll not listen to you he said you're not just hortensia you're heated heated i'll not listen to you besides when all is said what reasons be these for the folly ye've committed reasons she echoed scornfully reasons and to spare her ladyship has made my life so hard has so shamed and crushed me put such indignities upon me that existence grew unbearable under your roof it could not continue my lord she pursued rising under the sway of her indignation it could not continue 
I am not of the stuff that goes to making martyrs. I am weak, and, and, as your lordship has said, womanish. Indeed, he'll talk a deal, said his lordship peevishly, but she did not heed the sarcasm. Lord Rotherby, she continued, offered me the means to escape. He urged me to elope with him. His reason was that you would never consent to our marriage, but that if we took the matter into our hands and were married first, we might depend upon your sanction afterwards. That you had too great a kindness for me to withhold your pardon. I was weak, my lord, womanish. She threw the word at him again and it happened god help me for a fool that i thought i loved lord rotherby and so and so she sat down again weakly miserably averting her face that she might hide her tears he was touched and he even went so far as to show something of his sympathy he approached her again and laid a benign hand lightly upon her shoulder but but in that case oh that damned villain why this mock parson does your lordship not perceive must i die of shame do you not see see no he was thoughtful a second then repeated no i understand she informed him a smile a cruelly bitter smile lifting and steadying the corner of her lately quivering lip when he alluded to your lordship's straitened circumstances he has no disinheritance to fear because he has no inheritance to look for beyond the entail of which you cannot disinherit him my lord rotherby sets a high value upon himself he may i do not know he may have been in love with me though not as i know love which is all sacrifice all self-denial but by his lights he may have cared for me he must have done by his lights had i been a lady of fortune not a doubt but he would have made me his wife as it was he must aim at a more profitable marriage and meanwhile to gratify his love for me base as it was he would he would oh god i cannot say it you understand my lord my lord swore strenuously there is a punishment for such a crime as this ay my lord and a way to avoid punishment for a gentleman in your son's position even did i flaunt my shame in some vain endeavour to have justice a thing he knew i never could have done my lord swore again he shall be punished he declared emphatically no doubt god will see to that she said a world of faith in her quivering voice 
my lord's eyes expressed his doubt of divine intervention he preferred to speak for himself i'll disown that dog he shall not enter my house again you shall not be reminded of what has happened here gad you were shrewd to have smoked his motives so he cried in a burst of admiration for her insight gad child shouldst have been a lawyer a lawyer if it had not been for mr carroll she began but to what else she said he lent no ear being suddenly brought back to his fears at the mention of that gentleman's name mr carroll save us what is keeping him he cried can they can they the door opened and mr carroll walked in ushered by the hostess both turned to confront him hortensia's eyes swollen from her weeping well quoth his lordship did they find nothing mr carroll advanced with the easy graceful carriage that was one of his main charms his clothes so skilfully restored by leduc that none could have guessed the severity of the examination they had undergone since i am here and alone your lordship may conclude such to be the case mr green is preparing for departure he is very abject very chapfallen i am almost sorry for mr green i am by nature sympathetic i have promised to make my complaint to my lord carteret and so i trust there is an end to a tiresome matter but then sir quoth his lordship but then are you the bearer of no letter mr carroll shot a swift glance over his shoulder at the door he deliberately winked at the earl did your lordship expect letters he inquired that was scarcely reason enough to suppose me a courier there is some mistake i imagine between the wink and the words his lordship was bewildered mr carroll turned to the lady bowing then he waved a hand over the downs a fine view said he airily and she stared at him i shall treasure sweet memories of maidstone her stare grew stonier did he mean the landscape or some other matter his tone was difficult to read a feature peculiar to his tone not so shall i sir she made answer i shall never think of it other than with burning cheeks unless it be with gratitude to your shrewdness which saved me no more i beg it is a matter painful to you to dwell on let me exhort you to forget it i have already done so that is a sweet courtesy in you i am compounded of sweet courtesy he informed her modestly his lordship spoke of departure renewing his offer to carry mr carroll to town in his chaise meanwhile mr carroll was behaving curiously he was tiptoeing towards the door along the wall where he was out of line with the keyhole he reached it suddenly and abruptly pulled it open there was a squeal and mr green rolled forward into the room mr carroll kicked him out again before he could rise and called leduc to throw him outside 
and that was the last they saw of mr green at maidstone they set out soon afterwards mr carroll travelling in his lordship's chaise and leduc following in his master's it was an hour or so after candle-lighting time when they reached croydon the country lying all white under a full moon that sailed in a clear calm sky his lordship swore that he would go no farther that night the travelling fatigued him indeed for the last few miles of the journey he had been dozing in his corner of the carriage conversation having long since been abandoned as too great an effort on so bad a road which shook and jolted them beyond endurance his lordship's chaise was of an old-fashioned pattern and the springs far from what might have been desired or expected in a nobleman's conveyance they alighted at the bells his lordship bespoke supper invited mr carroll to join them and what time the meal was preparing went into a noisy doze in the parlor's best chair mistress winthrop sauntered out into the garden the calm and fragrance of the night invited her alone with her thoughts she paced the lawn a while until her solitude was disturbed by the advent of mr carroll he too had need to think and he had come out into the peace of the night to indulge his need seeing her he made as if to withdraw again but she perceived him and called him to her side he went most readily yet when he stood before her in an attitude of courteous deference she was at a loss what she should say to him or rather what words she should employ at last with a half laugh of nervousness i am by nature very inquisitive sir she prefaced i had already judged you to be an exceptional woman mr carroll commented softly she mused an instant are you never serious she asked him is it worth while he counter-questioned and whether intent or accident he let her see something of himself is it even amusing to be serious is there in life nothing but amusement oh yes but nothing so vital i speak with knowledge the gift of laughter has been my salvation from what sir ah who shall say that my history and my rearing have been such that had i bowed before them i had become the most gloomy melancholy man that steps this gloomy melancholy world by now i might have found existence insupportable and so who knows i might have set a term to it but i had the wisdom to prefer laughter humanity is a delectable spectacle if we but have the gift to observe it in a dispassionate spirit such a gift have i cultivated the squirming of the human worm is interesting to observe and the practice of observing it has this advantage that while we observe it we forget to squirm ourselves the bitterness of your words belies their purport he shrugged and smiled but proves my contention 
that i might explain myself you made me for a moment serious set me squirming in my turn she moved a little and he fell into step beside her a little while there was silence presently you find me no doubt as amusing as any other of your human worms said she god forbid he answered soberly she laughed you make an exception in my case then that is a subtle flattery have i not said that i judged you to be an exceptional woman exceptionally foolish not a doubt exceptionally beautiful exceptionally admirable he corrected a clumsy compliment devoid of wit when we grow truthful it may be forgiven us if we fall short of wit that were an argument in favor of avoiding truth were it necessary said he for truth is seldom so intrusive as to need avoiding but we are straying there was a score upon which you were inquisitive you said from which i take it that you sought knowledge at my hands pray seek it i am a well of knowledge i desire to know nay but i have asked you already i desire to know did you deem me a very pitiful little fool they had reached the privet hedge and turned they paused now before resuming their walk he paused also before replying then i should judge you wise in most things he answered slowly critically but in the matter to which i owe the blessing of having served you i do not think you wise did you do you love lord rotherby what if so after what you have learned i should account you still less wise you are impertinent sir she reproved him nay most pertinent did you not ask me to sit in judgment upon this matter and unless you confess to me how am i to absolve you <laughs> i did not crave your absolution you take too much upon yourself so said lord rotherby you seem to have something in common when all is said she bit her lip in chagrin they paced in silence to the lawn's end and turned again then you treat me like a fool she reproved him how is that possible when already i think i love you she started from him and stared at him for a long moment you insult me she cried angrily conceiving that she understood his mind do you think that because i may have committed a folly i have forfeited all claim to be respected that i am a subject for insolent speeches you are illogical said mr carroll the imperturbable i have told you that i love you should i insult the woman i have said i love you love me she looked at him her face very white in the white moonlight her lips parted a kindling anger in her eyes are you mad i ain't sure there have been moments when i have almost feared it this is not one of them you wish me to think you serious 
she laughed a thought stridently in her indignation i have known you just four hours said she precisely the time i think i have loved you you think she echoed scornfully oh you make that reservation you are not quite sure can we be sure of anything he deprecated of some things she answered icily and i am sure of one that i am beginning to understand you i envy you since that is so help me of your charity to understand myself then understand yourself for an imprudent fleering coxcomb she flung at him and turned to leave that is not explanation said mr carroll thoughtfully it is mere abuse what else do you deserve she asked him over her shoulder that you should have dared she withered him to love you quite so suddenly he inquired and misquoted whoever loved at all that loved not at first sight hortensia you have not the right to my name sir yet i offer you the right to mine he answered with humble reproach you shall be punished she promised him and in high dudgeon left him punished o oh, cruel can you then be unsoft to him who's smooth to thee tigers and bears i've heard some say for proffered love will love repay but she was gone he looked up at the moon and took it into his confidence to reproach it twas your white face beglamoured me he told it aloud see how execrable a beginning i've made and therefore how excellent and he laughed but entirely without mirth he remained pacing in the moonlight very thoughtful and for once it seemed not at all amused his life appeared to be tangling itself beyond unravelling and his vaunted habit of laughter scarce served at present to show him the way out End of chapter 5